It is good to have you here, whether you're with us on campus or whether you're online. I say that every week because I know how important worship is, however you choose to worship. And over the last few months, um, actually the last 16 months, the last year, worship has become even more central and more essential regardless of how you choose to worship. So please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say, but we need to have a little bit of a conversation this morning about what it means to, um, to really be the person God created you to be. We launched this series last week called Live Your Best Life because I believe that most of us live far below what God's design for us really is. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, well, that's the starting point. That's the place where, where real life begins. But in the last 16 months, it, it's really been, is anybody else tired of the word unprecedented, okay? It, it, it's just like, but it really has. I mean, it's been 100 years since we've gone through this. Becky and I, my wife, were talking about uh, some, of the, some of the mentors that I've had in my life, people who were, who were influential for her and for me, who were leaders within this movement we call the Church of God. And last week, I was just in one of those moods where I told Becky, I just wanted to pick the phone up and call one of those guys and, uh, or a couple of them and just say, hey, what would, you, what would you do? And then I realized they would have no clue because none of them lived through what we're living through. Not one of those heroes of my faith ever, ever led a congregation through a global pandemic. And I'm like, goodness, they could at least pray. And then I remembered that in heaven, they're already in the presence of God and they're praying and Jesus is interceding for us. And so I think we're probably going to be okay. If Jesus is interceding for us, I think we're all right. But, but what I know is this, I ran across some numbers, some numbers that quite honestly um, can cause one of two reactions. The, the first number is why I'm so thankful for those of you who choose each week to join us online or on campus. Because you see, the number is this. 40% of the people in the United States who were attending church services before COVID have not worshiped online or on campus in 16 months. 40% of the people who were attending church in this country in the 330,000 Protestant congregations in this country have yet to worship in 16 months online or on campus, either one. And, and so if you're a pastor, you, you, you look at that and you go, whoa, what's going on? And, and then here's another one that not related to just church people, but that right now in the last six months and in the next six months, economists tell us that 25% of the people in the United States will change jobs or have already changed jobs. We're going through an unprecedented, I'm sorry for the word, okay, massive cultural shift. And when something like that happens, you, you get one or two reactions. One is, you know, the chicken little reaction. The sky is falling, the sky is falling. Or you get the reaction that comes out of me naturally, which is, wow, what an opportunity. We got an opportunity. As the people of God, we're living in an opportunity, an opportunity to tell people who, by the way, were not going to church before the pandemic. I know for some of you, that's kind of who you are. You found us online. You've been worshiping online. Some of you are making your way from online to on campus. One or two of you have made your way from on campus to online, uh, and that's okay, wherever you choose to worship. But what we know is 
that, that in my mind, I look at that and go, this is an opportunity because there are hundreds and thousands of people in our world, in your world, around you, not like way off somewhere, but in your circle of influence. There are dozens and hundreds and even thousands of people within your frame of reference who never went to church before COVID either. And, and they walked through an unprecedented massive cultural shift, and they've discovered, as Lake prayed for us earlier, that all the things that they put their faith in have failed them. They, they, they discovered that no matter how much money they make or how much prestige they have or, or no, matter, no, much, no matter what they think a good life looks like, this pandemic has made everybody, everybody begin to say, what has real meaning? Which is why which is why we're looking at what it means to live your best life. And there's a, there's a story in the book of Acts, in the 17th chapter. It's a, it's a story that includes, includes one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's, it's a statement that, get this, it's not made by Jesus, and it's not made by one of the disciples. In fact, it's not even made by a believer in Jesus Christ. But it's a statement that, that really sums up what Jesus did for the world. And so I want to read it for you from Acts chapter 17, beginning at verse 1. I'll start the story. The apostle Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke have left Philippi. Remember where they were in jail. We talked about that last week. And, and now they're following this road, the Ignatian road, the Via Ignatia, the Romans called it. And, and it goes from uh, Philippi, where they were, and it runs from Philippi west toward Rome, and it comes to a, a port city in a place called Thessalonica. Now, along the way, about every 30 miles, there's a city, because 25 to 30 miles was, was considered a day's walk, all right? For some of you, you're going, 25 miles to walk, a, day, a day's walk? Yep, yep, yep. That's what they did before they had horses to ride, okay? And so, listen to this. Now, when they had passed through Amphilipus and Apollina, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Remember, in Philippi, there weren't, we discovered there had to be 10 men, 10 male adults who, would, who were Jewish to form a synagogue, and there weren't enough in Philippi, because this is, this is a Roman area, okay? But in Thessalonica, there were. There was a Jewish colony there. And so there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in to the synagogue, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it is necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them, some of the people in the synagogue, were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas in following Jesus, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. When they could not find Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke at Jason's house, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, these, here it is, you got it, these men who have turned the world upside down 
have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king whose name is Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Now, I love that phrase. These men who have turned the world upside down. You see, now that, that's the way I view unprecedented times. I look at unprecedented times and go, this is an opportunity for those of us who follow Jesus, those of us who are disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, for, for those of you who are just you know, like church members, this is going to be harder for you, all right? But for those of us who have stepped across the line of faith and you're, you're really committed to following Jesus, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to those of you, to those of you who just kind of want to play with religion and just attend church and do the same old thing over and over again. I, I get it. That's comfortable. But the fact is, we don't live in comfortable times. We, we, live in, we live in times where there's an unprecedented, I, I'm going to annoy you with that word, all right, uh, that unprecedented opportunity to turn the world upside down. But sometimes, sometimes when you're like me and, and you see things like that, you, then you jump into it and you don't know exactly what you're doing when you jump into it because you're just excited and you're like, okay, let's go. And then it doesn't go well. Uh, many of you know that, that I've spent most of my adult life, in addition to pastoring churches, as, as being a chaplain for high school and college athletic teams. And along the way, I've, I've seen people, I've seen athletes, athletes who, who wanted, wanted to be on the floor or on the field or on the, you know, on the court, and, and they weren't there. They weren't, the, they weren't one of the starters. They weren't one of the guys that got to play. They, they, were, just, they were on the team. They were a valuable part of the team. But, and, and, and I've seen guys and gals approach that in one of two ways. I've seen some who are constantly berating the coach. Well, if the coach was smart, he'd put me in. You know, coach, I want to play. Put me in, coach. You, you know that? Put me in, coach. I want to play. And here's what happens. When the coach puts them in, there are two types of people. They're the ones who, when they get in, it's their opportunity, and they're like, yes, and they go for it, and suddenly the coach goes, you know, I should have been playing them all along. But then there's that other group. They haven't really paid attention in practice. They haven't really learned the plays. All, what they really want is, is they just, they, wanna, they want the accolades, they want the, the, the recognition, but they haven't done the work. And so when they get put in the game, suddenly they're making mistakes, or doing, and the coach is going, well, yeah, I shouldn't have put you in. Uh, one year I was working with a high school football team, and um, it was a smaller community. And, and they were, there, there was this, this one young man whose name was Jimmy. J Jimmy, Jimmy tore it up in eighth grade football. He was the best eighth grade football player our little community had seen. And then in the ninth grade, he was just tearing it apart, so much so that they actually moved him as a ninth grader up to the, the junior varsity. But his daddy and his granddaddy, they weren't happy with that, and they were kind of influential in the, in the community, and so they kept telling the coach, put him on the varsity, put him on the varsity. And, and, man, every JV game, he's just having a, I mean, he's running the ball. He's having a great time. And he's against guys his size, his age. But on the varsity, th those guys were bigger and stronger and faster. But because Grandpa and Dad were putting so much pressure on the coach, he finally put Jimmy on the varsity. And one night we're playing a game, and I'm watching all this as a pastor. I'm just kind of like, oh, okay, I see what's, I've seen this before. And then one night, wouldn't you know it, the first three running backs on the varsity all got nicked up in the first quarter of the game. 
And they weren't hurt bad, like broken anything. They were just nicked up enough they had to come off the field and be with the training staff. And so you start hearing this from the stands behind us, these two voices. Put Jimmy in! Put Jimmy in! And coach kind of looks around and realizes he has no other running back but Jimmy, the sophomore. And so he turns around to Jimmy and says, hey, you're in the game. And Jimmy's so excited. Jimmy goes out, and they run a few plays, you know, and Jimmy's just kind of going through some stuff. But then, you, then you hear this from the stand. Give Jimmy the ball. Give Jimmy the ball. And so, you know, they call a play. They give Jimmy the ball. Jimmy goes running through the line. And he's expecting what he's been doing against people his own size. He runs through the line with them, and, man, he's through and gone. But now suddenly these guys are bigger, stronger, faster, and they lit him up. As the coach said, they knocked him into next week. I mean, it just, it was not good. And then, and, and then you hear it again. Give Jimmy the ball again. Give Jimmy the ball again. And so they give Jimmy the ball. And again, some other player just lights him up. So by this time, the only people yelling, give Jimmy the ball are grandpa and, and dad, right? And they're yelling it really loud. Because they want their boy to succeed. When suddenly the quarterback calls timeout, he walks over to the sidelines. I promise you, I'm standing there. This is exact quote. Hey, coach, Jimmy says he don't want the ball no more. <laughs> now, why would I tell you a story like that? Because there's some of you, when you hear the church sing the songs, when you hear the pastor say the sermon, you're like, hey, put me in, coach. I want to do that. And then, when you, and, then, and then when you get in and it runs you over, life is hard. I had a, a pastor friend from Missouri this week I was talking to on the phone. happens to be a, a lady pastor. And she said to me, Carrie, if one more Christian person sends me a nasty email about what the church is doing or not doing and signs it in the love of Jesus, I'm going to puke. I like her. She's kind of honest. And so I think maybe there's a tendency for some of us to, to be, you know what? This is just too hard. And so we either turn back to the chicken little. The sky's falling. The church is falling apart. Nothing's ever going to be right again because it's not going to be like it used to be. Or, or we have a chance to do what Jason and the other people in Thessalonica did. Did, did you hear it? Uh, did, they, they, they had an opportunity. Listen to the first few verses again. Uh, now, when Paul and Silas, Timothy and Luke, passed through Amphilippus and Apollonia, and they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, get this, Paul went in, and as was his custom, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Here it is. Explaining and proving that it was necessary, number one, for the Christ, the Messiah, to suffer. Now, why did he say that? Because in the Jewish faith at that time, the understanding of the Messiah 
was that the Messiah would come and they would overthrow Rome and any other government and it would all be wonderful and he would set up an earthly kingdom and all the Jewish people would be in charge and, and it was just going to be beautiful. There wasn't any suffering for the Messiah. The Messiah was mighty. But that's not the Messiah that Isaiah talked about. That's not the Messiah you find in the Old Testament prophecies. That's the Messiah you want when, when your world is unprecedented. And, and, and yet here... Paul is telling these people, living in a Roman culture, believing that someday what they're holding on to is going to be in charge. He said, no, no, listen. The, the real Messiah had to suffer. And he had to suffer so much that he died. And so the second thing is, but he, he, he rose from the dead. To rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. See, what, what Paul did was he walked into a world where everything was upside down. But they thought it was right side up. And when he walked into that world, he began to, he began to reason with them using the scriptures that they thought they knew. And, and, and he reasoned with them to show them that, that in those scriptures they thought they knew, the real promise was something more than what they thought they had. Because the promise that was there is that this, this Jesus, this Messiah, this was a, a Christ who would suffer with you, who would suffer for you. He was the one who would come into your world and not just make everything better, but he would come and walk alongside with you, weep with you, laugh with you, cry with you, live in you. And through that process, he would take and transform the dead into life. He would transform the mundane into something beautiful. He would transform life into something beyond what any human being could ever create. And that Messiah's name was Jesus. Because you see, friends, what he was doing, what Paul was doing for Jason and the other believers in Thessalonica, the, the Jewish people, the God-fearers, the, all of these people, he's, he was doing this. He, he was giving them a new foundation See, if we really want to respond to the unprecedented stuff we're living with, we can't go back to the old way of doing it. I mean, come on, let's, let's be honest. Forty percent of the people in the United States who were going to church, singing the songs, whether they were praise songs or hymns, worshiping, whether it was liturgical or non-liturgical, whether it was free church or tradition, forty percent of them, when a pandemic hit, disconnected because somehow what they were learning as a religion wasn't going to get them through the pandemic. Again, that's why I love you so much. That's why I'm so excited by those of you who have found your way into this place online or on campus. Those of you who have been faithful with, with your tithes and your offerings, those of you who've continued to serve and find places to serve, that's why I love you so much. I'm so proud of you is because you are working off a foundation established on Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul went into the Sabbath synagogue sessions and said to them, hey, look, this isn't about this religious system you grew up in. This is about a relationship with the one true Messiah. One, there's never been another one. There's an old gospel song. Some of you will remember it. Some of you have never heard it. If you're under 50, you may not have ever heard it. But it simply has this phrase in it that haunts me all the time. I grew up with this kind of music. And, and, and here's what it said. It says, when he was on the cross... I was on his mind. When Jesus is on the cross, when he's being crucified, 
when they're putting a crown of thorns on his head, when they're shoving a spear up his side, when he is breathing his last, when he's saying, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He wasn't just talking about the people at the bottom of the cross. He was talking about you, and he was talking about me. We, we want to respond to the, the opportunity that's now before us as, as the world begins to emerge from the, from the virus and the hole and the grip of it, and we discover all the ripple effects of the things that have happened because of the last 16 months, that if we want to respond to that in a solid fashion, if we want to be people who are, who are able to, when the pressure comes, decide we still want the ball, we still want to be a part of the team, we still want to be a part of what God is doing, if we want to do that, then we've got to have the right foundation. And so we've got to be willing to, to accept a new foundation in our life. But when we do, when we accept that new foundation in our life, then, then something, something else has to change. And it's, it's, a, it's a tricky nuance. Because at the same time that, that we establish this new foundation, something happens in us, and, and we want to tell all of our friends and we need to tell our friends. In fact, that may be the, the mission of the church right now. The mission of the church may be to, to say to people who are coming out of a pandemic, who've tried to find their meaning in other places, even those who were going to church and are not going to church now, and, and try to say to them, hey, you know what? You weren't going to church for the right reasons. You were going to church because your friends went to church. You were going to church because your family went to church. You were going to church because it seemed like the cool thing to do. But I'm just telling you right now, unless you know Jesus, it's not enough. So maybe, maybe we need to take the opportunity to say to those people, hey, you know what? You, you, you need to be a part of the body of Christ through your faith in Jesus Christ so you, you really need to, to be willing not just to accept a new foundation for your life in Jesus, but to participate in a new community, a, a new community of friends. doesn't mean you don't love your old friends. It just means you've got to, you've got to make some new friends, some new friends who are, who are on the same foundation, who have said, Jesus is the foundation of my life. I mean, look at the way it happened in Thessalonica. Some of the people in the synagogue were persuaded. When it says some of them, that, that's some of the Jewish members of the synagogue. Some of the men, some of the women. And they joined Paul and Silas. As did, get this, a great many of the devout Greeks. Now, who, that, who is that? That's the people who were native to Thessalonica. They weren't, they weren't transplants like the Jewish people who had moved there. No, they, they were from that area, and, and, and they, they had seen God at work, and they, they, they had chosen not to worship the plethora of Greek gods that were available to them, but instead they were worshiping the one true God, Yahweh, in the synagogue, but they they didn't know about the Messiah. They didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. They were devout in their religiosity, but now they had a chance to meet the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ. And then not a few of the leading women. I always love that phrase. People kind of skip over that. Can I say, ladies, let me just say something. There are people who will tell you, women have never had a leading role in the church. They've not read the Bible 
These were leading women in the economy. These were leading women in politics in Thessalonica. And these leading women, these, these intellectual women, these skilled, gifted women, they had been going to the synagogue to worship the one true God. And by the way, if you say, well, Jesus only had men disciples. Yeah, but do you know who paid the bill for the male disciples? Read your Bible. It was the women. There were women, business women, who supported the ministry of Jesus. That, that's something we've got to understand on this new foundation is that it's, it's everybody who's breathing that Jesus died for. And that in this role of putting a new foundation in your life, Jesus comes, whether you're male or female, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're slave or free, those are the words Paul would write later on. Regardless of your, your situation, regardless of your perspective, Jesus died for you to give you his perspective, to give you his worldview, to give you his opportunity. But there were some people who didn't like that. They were jealous. They were jealous because these people, many of them leaders, were saying, you know what? we're going to let Jesus be in charge of our life. We're not going to just settle for living a religious code. We're, we're actually going to be disciples of this Savior of the world. And so in their jealousy, they, I love this story, they, they, they took, took some wicked men of the rabble. Notice, uh, ladies, they didn't take any women from the women rabble, just the male rabble. Please don't use that against your husband today, later on, at any time. But they formed a mob, and they set the city in an uproar. Now, before I move on, you've got to know the NIV says they created a riot, if you've got that version of the Bible. Can I tell you, uproar and riot are both way, way, way too light for what really is said there. What really is said there is they blew that city up. It was chaos. There, there were people running through the streets. There were people shattering storefront windows. There were people doing, does that not sound familiar to the last year? There were people who, regardless, they just, it was chaos. And so they attacked the house of Jason, where they think Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke are staying. And they seek to bring them out to the crowd. Now, it's at this point the story gets really interesting because when they go there, well, let's look at the next scripture. Look, look at the next scripture. When they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers, some of the other people who were following Jesus before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king whose name is Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Now, here's what I want you to catch. I want you to understand, when there's a new foundation in Jesus Christ, when, when you begin to participate in a community of believers like Jason did, suddenly there's some risk involved in that. Being involved in that community of believers, being, in, being involved in that put, put Jason and some of the other brothers at risk. because they, they were after Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, but what they got was Jason. And they said, hey, look, 
you know, these guys are here. We can't find them, but Jason, they're, they're, they're helping them. They're, they're giving them a place to stay. They're supporting them. And here's where the test came down. The test came down at that moment in time for Jason and him. Was he really going to live on that foundation? Was he really going to be the person that he said he was going to be when he said, you know what, I'm going to be a part of the community of faith? And at this point in time, Jason aces the test. You know, some people just pass the test. Some people ace the test. Jason aces the test because here's what he does. First of all, they drag him into the magistrates. They drag him into the courts. Nobody ever brings Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke and Thessalonica before the authorities. No, no, Jason goes in his place. And then when they say, you know what? Hey, this, you, Jason, you've got to make these people stop this. Jason and the other members of the community of faith dug into their own resources, took their own time, took their own energy, and they put themselves up. When it says that they, they paid money as security, they, they placed bond for Paul and Timothy and Silas and Luke. So much so that, that when you read Paul's letters that he writes back, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, spend some time in them this week. You, 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 you can listen to them on an audio book, listen to both of them in 15 minutes. Or you can read them maybe in 10. They're short letters. But in those letters, Paul talks to the church. He doesn't call Jason by name, but he talks to the entire church there, Jason being included in it. He says, you know what? You guys got it. You did it so well. You were part of the community of faith. You put yourself in there, and you assumed it, and you said, you know what? We're not going to sit out on the outside and criticize. We're going to be a part. We're not going to be the people who are always saying, hey, I got a better idea. We're going to say, hey, Jesus, what's your idea? And he talks in, in, in those two letters about the love he has for those people and the love they have for him and the way God has used them to become a, to become a, a message about him throughout the entire region because of the way they stood in the gap. As I told you about when I began, that's why I love this place. That's why I love so many of you who are weekly here on campus or online with us. And by the way, for those of you on campus, there are normally about twice as many people online as there are on campus most Sundays now. And for those of you who are online and you choose to stay there, wonderful. We're working on some things to help you grow as believers, wherever you are, whatever's going on in your world. For those of you on campus, please continue. We're trying to make a safe environment. Continue to be faithful with us. Give us, give us some time. We're working on this thing. And we're going we're gonna, to, we're never, hear, hear me. We're never going back to what we had before. We're going forward to what Jesus has in the future. That's something you've got to know. Because I don't believe the church ever goes back. In fact, I, 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 there's a difference. That's a very key theological statement for the Church of God, Anderson, Indiana, if you want to use all those names. Because, see, there are church groups that are restoration groups. They want to restore what was the past. But for those of us in this movement, for those of us who for 120 years or more, actually 140 now, have been a part of this group of believers who are committed to a reformation, a reformation is different than a restoration. A reformation allows the Spirit of God to do what needs to be done in the current time frame, unprecedented or not, to do what the church needs to do in order to share the love and hope and grace and mercy of Jesus with a world that is hurt and lost without it. And that means to be reformed, not to be restored. 
And so what I want you to hear this morning is that when you have that foundation, when you say, I'll participate in that community of believers, it, when you are willing, as Jason and the others were, to say, you know what, I'm invested, I'm a part of it, I'm going to be connected to it, then what happens is this, you get a brand new focus for everything in your life, for everything in your life. So it's that focus. It's that focus that will give you the best life ever. To live your best life, you have to be focused. Where's the focus? On Jesus. There's an old gospel song we used to sing too. We sung it here actually in the last few weeks. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth, precedented or unprecedented, will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Church, Eastside Church, on campus, online, wherever you are in the world, my, my invitation to you today is to be willing to be a Jason, to be willing to be a person who says, hey, put me in, coach. And whatever it takes, I'm a part. Please don't be Jimmy. Oh, that's just too hard. I don't think I can do that. No, no. I don't want the ball no more. No, no. Be, be Jason. Be, be, be the man, be the woman you were called to be, created to be, who says, Jesus, I get it. You suffered for me. Jesus, I get it. You died for me. Jesus, I believe you are the Christ, and you are at work reforming the world, and you're starting with me. Listen, friend, please don't pray for revival in the church until you pray for revival in your soul. Please don't pray for a new day in the church until you pray for a new day in your life. But when you do, when you can take the step Jason and the other brothers in Thessalonica took, you can hear and see and experience something amazing. And maybe, maybe today is the day you need to start. Maybe right now is the moment you need to start. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is this. If you're on campus, I'm going to ask you, would you bow your head? If you're online, if you're online with us, then I'm going to ask you to, to make a sacred moment wherever you are. By the way, if, if you're listening to a podcast or this is on demand and you're driving, please don't take your eyes off the road. <laughs> don't do that. But in your heart, make a sacred place. And right now, I, I just want to invite you. If you're, if you're overwhelmed by what's going on around us and you need God to make a difference in your life, you need Jesus to take the first place in your life, and I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. And, and by the way, if you've never asked Jesus into your life, this is a great day for you to do it, and this prayer can be for you too. This is your day to be born a second time, to be born into the likeness of Jesus. Pray with me. Jesus, forgive us for how we've made you into some historical figure or some great teacher 
some ethicist instead of, a, instead of the Savior of the world that you are. Forgive us for the times when we've settled for religion, when we've settled for a system, and we've, we've not entered into a, an open, honest relationship of love and grace and trust and mercy and forgiveness and, and reform in us. Forgive us for those times right now. And, and Jesus, would you begin to show us? Would you begin to show us the places where you want us to be the leading people, where you want us to be the people who participate in the community of faith, where you want us to share what we found in you with the people in our neighborhood, with the people at our job, with the people at our school, with the, with the people in our city, in our county, in our world. Right now, for those of us who've wandered far away, we ask for your forgiveness and we ask for you to receive us home to your heart. Lord, for those of us who've just become apathetic in our faith, we pray that you would inside us remind us of how much you love us and that you would make us new women, new men, new people because you are the Savior of the world. And so we ask you to put us in, to put us into the games that people play and let us speak truth, to put us into the circumstances of those around us and let us be grace and mercy and love, to put us in to be a part of what you're doing in this world because you've not forgotten this world and you haven't forgotten the United States and you haven't forgotten Indiana and you haven't forgotten Madison County you haven't forgotten Anderson and you sure haven't forgotten Eastside so thank you from the bottom of our heart and lead us in paths of righteousness for your namesake. For it's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray.